James chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, turn on over there. All we know is God's forgiveness and embrace, we just sang, is forgiveness and embrace. That's what James is getting us back to throughout this book. He is seeking to help us connect the forgiveness and embrace of God that we receive with how we live it out every day. Uh, You may have seen the story about Enos Williams as he accepted the induction into the Football Hall of Fame. It's in the paper today, and some of the excerpts are there. But he said, when I was a kid, I went to to church every week, but I never accepted Christ. He said it was a religious activity for me. He said, I sinned six days, and on the seventh day, I emptied my sin bucket. And then I did it again the next week. And he said, that's what church was for me. He's now a pastor in St. Louis. And he says, I want you to get two things from my speech today here at the induction into the Hall of Fame. And by the way, he went to Forche High School and walked on at Southern and was for 14 years a professional football player. And one of two, I think, or just a few inducted from New Orleans. But he said, start with the ending in mind. Whatever you do, start with the ending in mind. And second thing, go to the grave empty. Give it all. Expend it all. Lay it all down. Go to the grave having emptied yourself completely in the work God's called you to do. Great instruction, consistent with James, who's calling us to this kind of life that is laid down on behalf of the gospel and for love of neighbor and love of Christ. Now, James chapter 4, he is retweeting Jesus here. You'll hear echoes of Jesus in this text. What causes fights and quarrels among you? I don't know if you've been wondering that. I don't know if that's in your mind. It's in the mind of Pastor James. Maybe he's experiencing some fights and quarrels even in his own congregation. And he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people! Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. 
That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. God gives us more grace. He gives us more grace. Maybe you mistakenly thought before today that God's grace had run out on you. That you'd been so bad so long that God just didn't have any more grace for you. Maybe you mistakenly thought that God has grace for you in some areas, but not in other areas of your life. And you've been struggling with some things and have just supposed that there's no help for you there from God, that you've run out of His grace. James says to people who are struggling to live the Christian life, God gives us more grace. So I want you to know, sister, brother, grace is available for you, all right? Grace for your tongue, grace for your marriage, grace with your children, grace in your home, grace at your work, grace in your school. God gives us more grace. God hadn't run out of grace for you. I want you to examine your practice of prayer. I'm asking you to do that because James asked them to do that. In this first paragraph, when he talks about quarrels and fights, he also talks about prayer. And he talks about prayer in two ways here when he talks about fighting and arguments. Now, I don't know if anybody's been in an argument or in a quarrel, a controversy or fight. Maybe this applies to you in a very real way, and I want you to go ahead and let it do that, okay? So if you're involved in some controversy or fight, just let the Holy Spirit speak to you about this, okay? Now, here's here's the first thing about prayer. Sometimes our behavior prohibits us from going to the place of prayer. He says you have not because you ask not. Sometimes we just don't ask. We do without God's peace and His joy and His favor Unable to ask because we know our behavior is inconsistent with His will. And when we go by the place of prayer, or we think about prayer, or maybe even think about going to church, we're just uncomfortable with it. It's just uncomfortable with it to us. Because we know that our life is not aligned with the purposes of God, and so we just, we don't ask. So if your practice of prayer has dropped off, if you're not praying like you should and like you used to. Something's wrong spiritually, all right? And maybe the quarrels and the fights and the arguments are an indication that something's going on here. Second thing about prayer that he says is, we ask and we don't receive because we want to consume it on our lusts or our desires or our pleasures. In other words, we are the consummate consumer and we're asking God for stuff to consume and we want to consume it in these desires and lusts of our life 
And James, the pastor, says, you're praying, but you're praying with the wrong motives. Now, here's the thing about these wrong motives that he talks about here. They're not just in the place of prayer. They're also out here in the world, in interactions with human beings at work and school, and particularly in the family. We are disguising our wrong motives by suggesting we are arguing for lofty ideals and basic principles and everybody needs to get on board with these basic things about justice and honesty and things like that and we justify our quarrels and arguments based on these high moral standards that we communicate we are operating in. So we are arguing and we say our argument is in defense of something grand. But James says, underneath it all, it's bitter envy, anger, and resentment that's really driving the argument. The high principle you suggest you are defending is just a veneer that the quarrels and the arguments and the strife actually comes from envy, resentment, and anger inside here. That's what it is. Sometimes we interact with people in just such a way. We catch ourselves sometimes and we know it. We go to work looking for a reason to let that guy have it because we are angry and upset. And if you're looking for a reason... Look what he's done. You'll always find it. And you can say, the reason I let him have it is because of this. But the truth is, you are angry, upset, resentful, maybe bitter about something all along. And you let him have it because you found you a reason that disguises that mess inside of here. Now, these high ideals you can throw out for any particular behavior. All you got to do is spend a little while in a prison and you'll discover that folks in there are defending high ideals. I know that. I've personally talked to them. Do you know there was a man convicted yesterday of second-degree murder for beating his eight-year-old son to death? He chose to defend himself, and he started his defense by saying this, spanking is not illegal. Isn't that a little revolting to you? That somebody who beat their son to death would start by suggesting that their behavior was really about loving corruption and instruction? I'm somebody that got spanked when I was a boy, all right? So if you say, <laughs> there's a few of us, okay? <laughs> but my father taught us, and the scripture teaches us, if you lay a hand on that child because you are angry, resentful, and you've lost it, you do damage rather than good. 
when you get ready to discipline your child and you feel the anger and resentment rising in you and frustration you walk off from that moment you go count to ten somewhere you say God help my heart to be pure when I discipline my child and you bring it down so that you discipline your child with the kind of love that you've experienced from the Father above. All right? Whatever it is, whatever it is, you can always disguise bad behavior by suggesting good motives. And James is saying to us, look, I can tell you why you're having a fight in your marriage. I can tell you why you're quarreling with the people you say you love. I can tell you why this conflict is happening. He said, most often, the motives are not these grand things we suggest, but they're the usual suspects, envy, pride, anger, selfishness, resentment. James is dealing with a church that is experiencing a lot of turmoil in their, in their social and cultural life. He's the pastor at Jerusalem, all right? Now, he writes this letter maybe around 60. We don't know for sure. A.D. The city of Jerusalem will be completely destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. And I suspect that the serious political rifts that have happened in the Jewish community are also evident in his church. And there's a lot of talk back and forth and people arguing about what they ought to do. So I would think, and some people suggest, and one of the commentaries that I read, this is the way they went, that these arguments and quarrels are political in nature. And they are a precursor to Rome coming in and smashing this city and taking their most sacred house of worship and tearing it down until there's not one stone left on another, just like Jesus said they would, and then sowing the ground with salt so nothing would grow and there's not been a temple on the Temple Mount for 2,000 years because this recalcitrant, rebellious, stubborn, and stiff-necked people stood up against Rome in an unwise unnecessary way and they were smashed not to have a homeland again for almost 2,000 years is there a worse outcome I believe James saw in the discussion of his day behind the veneer of high principles envy greed selfishness, anger, resentment. The things that plague human beings and creep into our language and into our feelings and into the emotions of our discussions. You got to deal with the anger. You got to deal with the envy. Even if there are some principles at stake, these emotions, these motives, 
poison the well. And you want to have a conversation with your wife that is meaningful and real. But you've got this boiling inside. And you want to have a conversation with your neighbor. But the resentment is there. James is challenging us to look at who we are in relation to the people we say we love. And if there are quarrels, conflict, and arguments, to ask the question, God, what's going on in my heart? Do I have wrong motives? Am I disguising my true motives with other things? Examine your practice of prayer and examine your choice of friends. See, James goes where Jesus goes and John goes. He talks about friendship with the world. And you might be sitting there thinking, what is friendship with the world anyway? Friendship with the world is enmity against God. That's what he says here. Let me boil this friendship with the world down to your choice of friends. All right? Who are your friends? You know, I find out a lot about you if you introduce me to your friends. And you find out a lot about me. And there's lots of little sayings about that. And I heard some after the early service. You are who you walk with. The proverb says, a righteous man chooses his friends carefully. That's Proverbs 12, 26. Another proverb says, don't make friends with an angry man. There are lots of proverbs that instruct us about who we ought to connect to, all right? And the notion is this, if you connect to people who are vulgar, profane, and obscene, at some time, those attitudes, that language, and that way of seeing the world is going to creep into who you are. If you connect to people who are angry, bitter, and resentful, you may one day become the object of their anger and bitterness and resentment. It is important who you make your friends. See, sometimes we choose our friends so we can fit in, all right? There's a social pecking order in every group of humans. Every group of humans, your work has it, your school has it, your neighborhood probably has it. Every group of humans has a social pecking order. There's some kind of informal order in which they are configured. People say that kids join gangs so they can be part of that social order, so they can fit in. It is costly not to fit in sometimes. We don't want to pay that price. We don't want to be the oddball, the person who's left out. And so we decide, well, we're just going to go ahead and be friends with this group. We're going to be part of this group not realizing how it affects us, our reputation, and our future. 
James is saying what John says. Love not the world. Don't try to fit in to the world order out there. If you manage to fit in and start looking like they look and talking like they talk and having the same values they have, you're going to find yourself at odds with the God who made you. It's not going to work inside of you, and you're going to know it. And some of you, you get lots of invitations to come back into the world, don't you? You came out of the world. You said you're going to walk with Jesus. You're going to follow him. And the world just keeps hollering at you. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jane. Come on back. We want you to be our friend. We want you to go with us. Come on now. Join on in. And the old friends that you used to have, it disturbs them and convicts them that you no longer practice the things they practice. And your refusal to participate and be in that group and fit in is a subtle judgment on their behavior, and you can't help that, all right? You can't help it. If you say no to what everybody else says yes to, they feel judged morally. I remember one guy who was walking with me on the playground when I was just a kid. And he wanted me to do something, and I told him I wouldn't do it. And he finally got frustrated, and he said, David, you're no saint. I said, I, pardon, I, I beg to pardon, I, or I, I beg to differ. I am a saint. You know what a saint is? It's not somebody who does everything perfect. A saint is somebody who is set apart for God. The whole idea of being a saint is that you are separated unto God. It's not that you are perfect. You aren't claiming that. It's that you belong to God. And James is saying, you've been separated unto God. Choose your friends accordingly. Choose your friendship accordingly. Now, I'm not saying that you got to pull out of the world and be a monk somewhere. Okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you don't have friends who don't know Jesus. I'm sure not saying that. I want you to have friends who don't know Jesus. I'm saying you don't try to fit in with a group who's at odds with the God who has separated you unto himself. That's what I'm saying. All right? You don't befriend them in such a way that you change your convictions and the way you talk and act and look in order to be one of the group. Be careful. A wise man is careful how he chooses his friends. And friendship with the world is enmity against God. Now, James says at the conclusion of this passage, submit therefore to God. All right? Humble yourself. God gives more grace. Humble yourself, and he will lift you up. God exalts the humble. So submit yourself, therefore, to God. There may be something in your life right now that comes to mind where you have refused to bow the knee to God. You know it's wrong. 
You feel convicted about it every day. You can't come to church without it coming up in front of your mind and heart. And you know it's there. And to date, you have not submitted to God in this thing. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's your tongue. Maybe it's a bitter spirit. Maybe it's a habit or a relationship. And you've not submitted to God yet. This is the thing. You've got to submit. You've got to submit to God. You're his. You belong to him. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. And that area of your life is blocking everything God wants to do in you. God's not going to work around that. He's not going to leave that alone. He's going to work on you in that rebellion until you address it with a contrite heart. You've got to bow before him and say, Lord, this too is yours. God wants to go into every closet in the inner you. He wants to have charge of every room inside of you. And you open up rooms and you let him in. And now and then you might open up a new room, but there's a room in you. There's a place in you. There's a closet in you where you won't let God be God. And that's what James is talking about. That spot, that place. You got to open it up. You got to let the light in. You got to let the love flow. You got to receive the grace of God for that place in your life so that He can make you whole. Submit to God, resist the devil. I tell you, I'm not going to give the devil any grand credentials. He is a two-legged ant with terminal cancer compared to the God who made you. God could just, and it'd be over for him, all right? There is no cosmic contest between good and evil because good's going to win because God is good, all right? See? And it's not like the devil's on a par with God. He's not. The foolish, most foolish thing in the world would be to worship this guy who is living under a death sentence. He's going to get thrown in a pit. You don't go where he's going. Resist the devil. Some of us have yet to learn how strong temptation can be because we give in at the first invitation. If you start saying no to the temptation, you realize, hey, temptation's pretty strong. <laughs> That's pretty strong. If you resist the devil, the scripture says here, he'll run away. I have a prayer for you, for submission. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name in my life. Your kingdom come and your will be done in me. That's a prayer of submission. You already know it. Just make it personal. Put it in the first person and pray it unto God. And when you can't submit, you just pray that prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done in me, God. I have a prayer for resisting the devil. Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. 
I have a prayer for those of you who feel like your hands are, are dirty. James says to brothers and sisters in the church, wash your hands, you sinners. Yeah, I, I hadn't said that too much directly to you, have I? I mean, he lets them have it. You adulterous people. I think he's kind of frustrated at them, don't you? Wash your hands, you sinners, he says. And I have a prayer for you. If you feel like your hands are dirty, if you feel like your heart's dirty, Lord, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. Lord, forgive me as I have forgiven others. When it comes right down to it, we've got to live forgiving the people we love. Forgiving them every day the wife, the husband, the children, the parents, the neighbor. We actually have to covenant not only to love, honor, and keep, but also to forgive. Do you promise to love, honor, keep, and forgive this person till death do you part? You say, oh, I can do that. I can forgive him. He's got stinky feet, but I can forgive him. Yeah, it's more than stinky feet, sister. Yeah, she's got bad breath in the morning. It's more than bad breath in the morning. See, the person you married or you're going to marry is deeply flawed. And the fault line runs all the way to the inside. I know this because it's true about me and it's true about you. And one day, that person you married is going to be like Jesus. And he's going to take away all the problems. But until that day, you're married to a man, you're married to a woman who's broken all the way down inside. And you've got to forgive them every day for the fault line that runs deep all the way to the heart. And to live in this forgiveness is the only way we release grace like God's released grace unto us. We experience his grace in his act of forgiving us. He gives us more grace even though we're miserable at living for him. He gives us more grace when we come to church and wonder why he doesn't throw us out. How could I possibly be a Christian and act like this? And God just keeps giving us his grace. And that is the model in which we marry and have families and live in the world with a grace that pours out as we forgive one another. Let's bow together. Maybe, maybe you need to just pray, Lord, pour your grace into me forgive me where I failed you maybe you need to pray God give me your grace to forgive my spouse my friend maybe your prayer is God show me 
what's really causing the conflict in my own heart. Help me be honest with myself as well as with you. Maybe only in the place of prayer will you really see the real you. God, I pray that you will help us submit now. Submit to your Holy Spirit. Submit to your leadership. Submit to the conviction of sin. Repent. Forsake that sin. And walk with you. God, we are seeking to heed your word as we respond today. In Jesus' name, amen.